On September 11, 2001, just before 9 o'clock, I watched the news anchors theorizing about why one of the World Trade Center towers was on fire. They kept saying that a plane may have hit the North Tower, but couldn't reconcile how a plane could possibly have accidentally flown into the tower on what was a very clear morning in New York City. When the second plane hit the South Tower live on television, it left no doubt as to what we were all looking at. I was still a rookie firefighter, staring at a television in the station kitchen with the other firefighters watching both towers burn and wondering what firefighting in something like that would actually look like. What were the firefighters encountering? Where were they positioning hose lines? Stuff like that. At least 45 minutes into the attack, I remember asking a captain from another station, how long can a high-rise building burn like that without collapsing? He didn't answer. 343 firefighters and 72 other first responders died that day. And as far as we know, almost all of those firefighters were killed in the collapse. There was a fascinating NOVA documentary produced in 2002 called Why the Towers Fell that really delved into answering that question. Basically, it came down to the fact that the structural steel was protected with a spray-on fire retardant that was blown off of the steel during the initial explosion when the planes impacted the buildings. The ensuing aircraft fuel fire had direct access to the structural steel on several floors, and it was only a matter of time before it weakened, bowed, and buckled. It's a really good documentary in my opinion, and you should check it out if you get a chance. I've been teaching a class on the Sofa Superstore Phase 2 report for 14 years now, ever since it came out in 2008. Maybe 70 or 80 times I've stopped counting. It's not a class on the fire necessarily. I wasn't there and don't have any insight that I didn't get studying that report. It's a class about the findings of that report. And every time I teach the class, I read the report again. And the last time it got me thinking. Nine firefighters died. And it was the fire that got them. The building collapsed but only long after fire had swept through the majority of the structure. I started thinking about the deadliest fires for firefighters. Where would Charleston fall on that list? Mine wasn't a very scientific examination. I went straight to Wikipedia. There's actually an article called List of the Deadliest Firefighter Disasters in the United States. Obviously, September 11th is the deadliest incident for firefighters, and hopefully that record will never be broken. But what was interesting about the list was that the Sofa Superstore fire, with its nine dead firefighters, is actually tied for 18th place on that list. What I've always considered to be such a large and tragic loss of firefighters isn't as high on that list as I had imagined it would be. There are a bunch of fires that killed more than nine firefighters. The second greatest loss of firefighters was the Great Fire of 1910, a two-day 3 million acre forest fire in Idaho and Montana that killed 78 firefighters. The burned area was the size of Connecticut. It's the fire where Ranger Ed Pulaski led about 40 firefighters into an abandoned mine as they were being overtaken by the fire. He famously drew a pistol and threatened to shoot anyone who wanted to run for it. All but five who entered the shelter lived. The third deadliest firefighter disaster is the Texas City disaster, 
which started as a fire in the hold of a docked ship loaded with ammonium nitrate fertilizer bound for post-World War II Europe. It ended with an explosion so powerful that it knocked a plane out of the sky and killed all 27 firefighters that were fighting the fire, along with 554 civilians. The explosion threw the ship's two-ton anchor more than a mile and a half away. It's an interesting list, and on Wikipedia you get links to all of those events so that you can read about each one. But I started to do my thing and try to find patterns in the data. So here's what I found. Of the 25 deadliest firefighter fires, you've got the Texas City Ship Fire, three refinery fires, and a construction site fire that all killed firefighters with explosions. The remaining 20 fires are either structure fires or forest fires. And forest fires dominate the top half of the list as the most deadly for firefighters, probably due in large part to the scope of those fires, uh, geographically large spaces, and fires that burn for days, weeks, or even months. Forest fires on that list account for 177 firefighter deaths. Twelve of the deadliest fires for firefighters were structure fires, almost half. But here's the really crazy thing. Only in two of those structure fires did the fire actually get the firefighters, the Sofa Superstore fire and the Worcester Cold Storage fire. Almost all of the others, it wasn't the fire that killed the firefighters. Time and time again, it was a collapse that killed. The Chicago Union Stockyards fire, 21 dead firefighters when the building collapsed during interior operations. The Friedlander Leather Remnants Factory fire, 13 firefighters killed in a two-phase collapse that killed rescuers trying to save firefighters trapped under the first collapse. 13 in the Strand Theater fire, and 12 in the 23rd Street fire. The Collins Block, Hotel Vendum, and Waldbaum Supermarket fires, all buildings that collapsed and killed firefighters. My own personal close call with almost killing a firefighter in a collapse, we fashioned into episode 22. Give it a listen. As the incident commander of that fire, I misjudged how well-built the building was and forgot to take the weight of water into account. The collapse almost killed Shane. And episode 27 is Clark Glass's perspective on being trapped in a collapse for 16 minutes, one of our most listened-to episodes. I remember the first time as a young firefighter when I asked myself, if I take a couch and put it in the middle of an empty parking lot and set it on fire, how much of a firefighting problem is that? Then I considered, if I took the same couch and set it on fire in a room of a single-family dwelling, how much of a firefighting problem is it now? Obviously, the second one is a much bigger problem. And I remember realizing why. I said to myself, It's the building, stupid. The building is what makes one a nothing fire and the other one the potential to be a real booger. So what can you do for yourself and other firefighters you fight fire with to increase your understanding of building construction? Well, you've got some good options. I know some listeners are going to hate to hear me say it again, but there are some really good books out there on building construction. Frank Brannigan wrote Building Construction for the Fire Service back in the 70s. It's had updated editions since then, and it used to be one of the only ones out there. But there are a lot of books on firefighter building construction 
all within a simple Google search. There's also no shortage of classes out there. I was taking a class up at the National Fire Academy a few years ago, and the instructor introduced himself as Michael Sharamonte. I thought the name sounded familiar, but couldn't place it until he revealed he was one of the six authors of the Sofa Superstore Report that I've been teaching a class about for so many years. Talk about a small world. And look, if you don't want to take a class or read, you damn well need to be ready to pick up a hammer and a nail bag. That might be a little extreme. You don't have to do that to learn, but I will say, as someone who swung a hammer for a few years building and working on houses, you can't beat the education you get when you repeatedly take buildings apart and build them back, especially alongside other firefighters who constantly point out stuff to think about from a firefighter's perspective. Tom, who many called Rock, and Larry were some of my greatest instructors. I have a building construction degree from RNL Construction. When I was a younger firefighter, it seemed like everyone around me in the department worked on houses on their off days. There were framers, plumbers, electricians. There was no shortage of opportunities to learn something while learning a buck. Now, it doesn't seem like as many firefighters do that kind of side work, which is too bad. The hands-on experience you get like that shows you how buildings are put together. But the books, they tell you why they're put together that way which for someone like me is pretty important if I'm going to retain that knowledge. I think you really need both, but as a firefighter, however you get it, you need to understand building construction. Case in point, years ago when I was a station captain, we had a very, very small fire in a windowsill. A little boy had been playing with matches and had set the match down on the windowsill. His parents caught him, there was some smoke, and they called 911. A very small fire that didn't get into anything other than the bottom of the windowsill. But like we always do, the battalion chief told one of the truckies to expose the wall back to clean wood. Now, in my version of that order, that required pulling the molding around the bottom of the window and maybe some sheetrock around that area. I would have seen clean wood and stopped. But when I went back in to check on that truckie, I found him alone in the bedroom swinging a sledge with all his might. He had removed all of the sheetrock on the wall with that window and then started on the outside corner working his way toward the center of the building, removing each of the studs. He only had about three or four more studs left between the window and the bathroom wall when I stopped him. I was dumbfounded. I asked him what the hell was he doing and he told me, Chief told me to open this wall up. No matter what I said to him, he refused to believe he was wrong doing what he was doing or that it was dangerous. When I pointed out that he had removed all of the load-bearing members in a 12-foot section of an exterior wall on the first floor of a two-story house, he still seemed unfazed, like I was talking a foreign language. He wouldn't listen to me, so I got the BC who gave him the order to come in and straighten him out. But unfortunately, in the end, we had to tell the family that they were going to have to stay out of that side of the house until they could get a contractor in to fix it and all because of a smoldering fire in a windowsill that I could have covered with my hand. All of that because a firefighter didn't understand building instruction. He didn't speak that language. Knowing fire, understanding fire, reading fire and smoke, all of it's not much use if you don't understand what the building is going to do with that fire, how the building is going to redirect and swallow 
and change that fire. Fire is pretty predictable stuff. Sure, some of the fuels we see today have changed the fires we encounter, but fire, for the most part, is just fire like it's always been. Frank Brannigan put it this way, The building is your enemy. Know your enemy. The building is what messes with you, and as a firefighter, or even more as a fire officer, you have to be able to see the building without its skin. To know a building built in the 60s from one built in the 80s or today. Residential versus commercial construction. Stick built versus truss. And the many different kinds of truss. What a king's row is and what it tells you about the brick you're looking at. You have to know what the building is going to do with the fire. And what the fire is going to do with the building. When the building can take another minute of fire and when it's had enough. Collapse is a firefighter killer. That list of firefighter tragedies shows that. Get out there in your territory. When these buildings are going up, walk around them. Try to go out while the builders are on site. They'll talk to you, let you know when they're entering different phases of construction, stuff like that. Remember, like I told myself all those years ago, the problem is the building, stupid. Read about building construction. Take classes about it. You don't know as much as you think you do. Get out in your immediate and really look at the buildings. Talk to the people who really know the buildings and share what you find out. The building is your enemy. Know your enemy. Combustible is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to Combustible to make sure you don't miss out on an episode. Follow us on Facebook so we know how many of you listeners there are out there. And you can check us out online at combustiblethepodcast.com. As always, we would like to thank the Golden Dogs and True North Records for letting us use their song Saints at the Gates for our theme music. You can find the Golden Dogs music on any streaming platform. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you later.